Well, let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you have a nickname? Raise your hand. Anybody got a nickname? Lots of nicknames in the room, lots of nicknames. Nicknames are, are oftentimes playful, aren't they? And, and uh, especially those playful nicknames. When I was growing up, I'm the youngest of uh, four brothers, or three brothers. I, well, let me get this right. I, you know, I have three brothers, so I'm the youngest of four. Okay, so the youngest of four, I have three brothers, and my nickname growing up was Bear. And the reason they called me Bear was because I was playful, and I was a big, hairy kind of guy. I've got lots of hair on my back. You don't want to see that. But, uh, but anyway, I get that from my grandfather, by the way. But uh, all through the years, that nickname has stuck with me. And when we're together at family outings and gatherings, uh, they'll, they'll oftentimes call me by that nickname. I have nicknames for our daughters. I have nicknames for my wife, Patty. I also genuflect when she comes in the room. And uh, I have nicknames for everyone on our staff. And Bobby Van Dyne, our senior director of ministry, is the proud owner of about 100 nicknames that I have for him. Uh, because I love, love Bobby and we play a lot with that. And uh, you can catch him later and uh, he can probably tell you what, what some of those nicknames are. Well, uh, Simon was aptly named Cephas, and Cephas, it translates in Greek to the word Peter. So Simon is the original name of the apostle. Jesus changes his name or nicknames him Peter, and Peter is translated as rock in Greek. And it's interesting that when Jesus made that nickname upon Simon, he said these words, upon you, Simon, upon you, Peter, I am going to build my church because you are the rock upon which all of this will come. Now, you might think that uh, Jesus saw some great qualities in Peter. And we've read so many great qualities about Peter. And we know that, that Peter was one of the strong disciples that followed him. In fact, uh, Peter was the one who in so many instances uh, came forward as a representative of the other disciples. But we also know that uh, Peter, the one who said that he would give his own life for Jesus, we find out that something changes in this relationship between this rock who gets pounded into sand, so to speak. And let's pick up the story in uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26. Jesus told them, so Jesus has the disciples gathered together. He says, before the night is over, you're going to fall into pieces because of what happens to me. This is really interesting because all throughout this relationship that Jesus has with the disciples, he's constantly sharing with them that he is going to travel to the cross and he is going to die for the sins of humanity. And all throughout their relationship, they don't seem to get that. But he's got them gathered and he says, before this night is over, you're going to fall to pieces because of what happens to me. There's a scripture that says, and this is in Zechariah, that I'll strike the shepherd and a loose translation, helter-skelter, the sheep will be scattered. Another translation would say, strike down the shepherd and the sheep will not know what to do. You take out the leader and the followers don't know what to do. Jesus says, but after I'm raised up, I, your shepherd, will go ahead of you, leading the way to Galilee. Peter broke in. Even if everyone else falls to pieces on account of you, I won't. Don't be so sure, Jesus said to Peter. This very night before the rooster crows up the dawn, you will deny me three times. Peter protested. Even if I had to die with you, I would never deny you. And all the others said the same thing. 
That night, a couple of very powerful things happened. Jesus predicts that one of his disciples will betray him. We know that to be Judas Iscariot. Now Jesus is saying that I'm going to be denied by the rock, the one upon which I'm going to build my church, the foundation. Peter's going to deny me, and all of you other ones are going to scatter. Now Jesus uses those words, fall away. Peter, you're going to fall away from me. And what that means is, is that Peter's loyalty, Peter's trust, Peter's whole being is going to be challenged, that he's not just going to step aside from Jesus, but he's going to fall away. And fall away translates that, yes, he'll remain a disciple, but he will no longer claim Jesus to be master, that he will no longer claim Jesus to be Lord, that he will deny ever knowing Jesus at all when that comes. That's powerful. When you think about that, doesn't it kind of stir in us that, that there are times that we do the same thing? You know, we want to think that we're a strong people. We want to think that we're strong in faith. We want to kind of tell the world, I'm a Christian. I'm a, I'm a person who loves God, and, and I'm a part of St. Paul United Methodist Church. And, and we go into our communities. We go into our schools. We go into our workplaces and in our neighborhoods. And we want everyone to know that we're a believer. But every one of us at some point in time in our life, whether early on or later on, we will deny Jesus Christ. We will deny that we know him. We will deny that we are a disciple. We will deny that we love God because of whatever that circumstance is that will come. Matthew goes on to write this. He says, meanwhile, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. So imagine last week when, when, when Peter had taken out his sword and uh, Malchus, he had struck the, the, the ear of Malchus, the slave, and uh, Jesus said, Peter, put your sword away. They arrest Jesus. Remember, we talked about Jesus willingly went without incident. He went in peace. So now they have taken Jesus and they have brought him before the religious body to be tried. And we're going to talk about the trial next week. So Peter, Peter now has followed as the other disciples have left. And Peter now is in the courtyard of the high priest. Jesus is in the building. Peter is on the outside, and this is where Matthew is. Peter was sitting outside the courtyard. A servant girl came up and said to him, you are one of those with Jesus the Galilean. But Peter denied it in front of everyone. So she comes to Peter quietly. You're one of them. But Peter denies it loud enough so that everyone can hear. I don't know what you're talking about. And later out by the gate, another servant girl noticed him, and she said to those standing around, so now it's not a private confession or a private sighting, but now she says it to everyone who's around, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter denied it, and this time with an oath. Now, oaths are something that Jesus taught against. He said, be very careful about taking an oath, especially about swearing in the name of God. Do not do that because it has ramifications that come. So Peter takes an oath and, and he shouts out and he, uh, to the bystanders. He says, you must, you must be one of them. And Peter says, no, I'm not. I swear I'm not one of those. And they said, but we recognize your Galilean accent. You're not from around these parts. And Peter swore again, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know the man. In other words, Peter is saying, I swear to God. I don't know him. And if I'm lying to you, may I be struck down dead. The impact of what Peter is saying to the crowd. And immediately the rooster crowed. You know, Luke is the only writer who says that, that Jesus looked up 
and makes eye contact at Peter at that moment. The other gospel writers just don't mention that, but, but it kind of adds something to the story when Luke says, and the Lord looked up and saw him at that moment. And at that moment, Peter is, is heartbroken. Now, the scriptures don't give us any reason at all. It, they don't tell us why Peter denies Jesus. We're not given any heads up. We're not given any kind of narrative. We're not told the reasons that go into that. But here we, we think that here's a man who's a, a stand-up guy for Jesus. He pulled out his sword. He was gonna defend him. He began to say to all the other apostles, you know, I'm the one who is gonna make sure I defend here. And, but the thing we've got to understand is that Peter is facing and experiencing some really deep pressures at this very moment. In fact, we're not even sure we can understand that. But imagine how tense, imagine, imagine how tough, imagine how turbulent those moments were when he's in the heat of that and he denies Jesus those moments. And what it shows us is without total reliance on God, we're capable of doing anything. When we don't totally rely on the strength of God, when we don't acknowledge before God that, that we're nothing without him, when we come before God and we say that we can handle anything, we need to rely on God. And because Peter was not relying on the strength of God, he failed Jesus at that moment. But Peter fails multiple times. He doesn't listen to Jesus' warning to, to consider that this is even going to happen. In fact, what, what we find in that earlier passage of Matthew that I read to you is that Peter puffs himself up. It, it's like ego. You know, somebody told me a long time ago, ego stands for edging God out, E-G-O. So Peter is edging God out. Before the others, he's puffing himself up. Well, I would never do that. I would die with you before I would allow them to arrest you. I don't know about them, but look at me. And Peter falls because of that, because Jesus warns him and says, this very night, you're going to do it. And it's going to hurt you even worse, Peter, because of the words that you're saying. And the rock will crumble before his very eyes. Some read this account about Peter, and they say that the, that the denial is not the worst deed that happened with Peter that night. And if we really look at it even closer, the denial was bad enough. But what we've got to also see is what was going on in the soul of Peter. Peter realizes that he has denied knowing the Lord, that his loyalty, his acknowledgement, that he has turned his back on Jesus in Jesus' perceived greatest time of need. And it's at that moment that the gospel writers say that Peter is torn to tears as his heart is breaking by what has happened. I know that failure comes in lots of shapes and sizes, doesn't it? In fact, all of us in the room can say that sometime in our life we failed. Now, your failures might be different than my failures, but we've all failed. So none of us are exempt. None of us live this perfect life. None of us live this uh, life that says that we're higher and well above everybody else, but we struggle with those failures. I know what some of my failures were. Some of my failures were early on in life when I was in college. And I got into the fraternity scene, and instead of really being a good student and, and building character and all of that, I got involved into uh, binge drinking in the fraternity and those things and coming home so many times to my parents' house late at night, not being able to get my key inside of the door lock, only to have the door open and me collapse into my dad's arms. And him looking at me and saying, son, the plans that we have for you are much greater than this. What are you doing? So I feel like there were times when I was growing up, I, I failed my parents. 
There are times I know that I failed God in, in, in those moments of my life where I really believed that God was saying for me to do something or, or God was nudging me to take a step, to take a risk, to step out in ways that I wasn't really ready to do or that I challenged and even chastised God at some moments in my life. And I said, God, but my way's better. I can choose which way, and I don't need to listen to you. And, and, and I saw how, how I failed in that. There were moments uh, when our daughters were young, and I would always say to them, and mean it still to this day, that as your father, I will protect you from anything. Nobody will ever hurt you. And now, later on in life, I realize that I've, I failed at that because I found out uh, months ago that one of our daughters was a victim of domestic violence. So failure comes in so many different ways. And so many of us at those times, we, we struggle that, and we're not real sure what to do and, and what will happen. But, but like Peter, we can experience what those losses are, can't we? Like Peter, we, we can feel what that's like to have to live to this. And the Gospels create an image of Peter that we have to see. And we have to be very careful that we only don't focus on the, the failings of Peter. We make sure that we don't only see and listen to those words, I don't know the man, but that we see a different image of Peter and taking that different perspective and lifting our eyes to a greater role in the life of Peter, we begin to see what God's grace is all about. We begin to see that Peter truly loved Jesus and we see in the gospel stories exactly how that happens. In those moments of Jesus's arrest and capture and trial, there's one disciple, one that's mentioned by name who follows Jesus and that's Peter. You know, there's, there's, there's some talk about another disciple and, and scholars debate back and forth. Maybe it was Judas because he had an inside loop. Maybe he was trying to, you know, make things right. Some say it might be John. But Peter is the only name given to us. So we have to know that Peter is the one who stepped beyond his failures and, and began to follow Jesus. Why did he do that? Because he loved Jesus. And he realized that no matter what was going on, that he wanted to be near Jesus. And because of that, it proves the depth of love that Peter had for the Lord. But here's the beauty of this. Even greater than Peter's courage to stay near Jesus was Jesus' love expressed back to Peter. Jesus did not abandon Peter in the time of his failure, but instead he loved Peter despite his failure. What Peter saw to be a huge setback was actually something that God saw as a huge setup. And a setup was he was setting up an opportunity for Peter to be redeemed. He was setting up an opportunity for Peter to become the great person that he had created him to be. And ultimately, we will read in, in Acts how Peter preaches a sermon after Pentecost when the Holy Spirit is poured out. And 3,000 people at that instant gave their life as new Christians for Jesus Christ. So what it says and what we learn about Peter's story is just because you fail at something doesn't mean you're a failure. Just because you fail doesn't mean you're a failure. You're gonna fail, fail, and failure is part of how we grow. And how we grow is, as we look back on our lives of the things that we failed at, we can begin to learn from that. We can begin to stretch. We can begin to reach deep inside of us and find something within ourselves, the strength that we've never seen before. And God reveals that to us. And what it says is that, we, that, that the way to overcome our fears is to take the steps to do that, to trust in God and to overcome our fears. When we get knocked down, we need to get back up. We need to rise again. When we stumble and when we fall, what should we do? We need to pick ourselves back up 
and we need to keep moving forward to make something right out of what that which is wrong. A pottery teacher was conducting a class, and as it was tradition with that class every year, she would divide the class in half, and she would say to one half, she would say, I want you to take, over the next three hours, I want you to take this pottery or, or this clay, and I want you to make 100 bowl, pottery bowls. And each time that you're making it, I want you to notice what's happening. The second group, she said, I want you to take this pottery and over, over this clay, and over the next three hours, I want you to make one clay bowl, one piece of pottery, and I want you to make it the best piece of pottery that you possibly can, and your piece of pottery, because you're focusing solely on that, is to be better than any pieces of pottery that the people making 100 can do. The three hours began. When the three hours were up, the teacher said, it happens every time. The students who are working on making 100 pieces of pottery end up outshining those that make only one. That even though that, that in making the, the hundred, they begin to see pieces that are mired and broken and not perfect and all, the more that they make, the more that they do, the more they perfect, the better it becomes. The ones who focus only on one are obsessing on how to engineer it, and ultimately they make one, but it's not as good as those who keep trying and trying and trying and trying and succeed. And that's what life says to us. We cannot stop in life just because we think something has failed. We have to keep pushing through to it. We have to make decisions. We have to make progress. We, have to, we can't succumb to the things of what everybody says. And the more that we work at it together, the greater it can become. And that's where we come up with this biblical principle on failure, that we must take faith risks to overcome failure. Faith risks to overcome failure. Remember what I said earlier about Peter? It took great risks for him to follow Jesus in the courtyard of the high priest. He risked his life. He risked everything about himself. He had to be there. And though Peter denied, even though he failed Jesus, Jesus did not abandon Peter's, his faith in Peter, and Jesus believed in Peter. And Jesus continued to pour into Peter's life. Peter didn't fail that day. Who failed? The other 11 who left and who didn't come and who weren't participating. In the end, it was Peter who took the faith risk. And because he took the faith risk, he saw the reward that would come. In Acts chapter 3, we see a really interesting story where Peter, James, and John are coming by the gate called Beautiful. It was called the Beautiful Gate because it was adorned so wonderfully. And there was a man who stayed by that gate his entire life from the time he was a child to his mid-age. He was crippled. And the only way that he could earn a living was to beg for alms that people would give to him. And as Peter, James, and John, as Luke writes in Acts, come there, the man says, please give me silver and gold. Please give me, give me money so that I can live. And Peter looks right at the man and he says, silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And the man gets up and he walks and a miracle has happened. But something interesting happens in this story because the same people that arrested Jesus, the same people that put Jesus on trial, the same people that convicted Jesus to go to the cross, they bring Peter and John and James before them. And they begin to ridicule them and chastise them. How dare you perform this miracle? Where do you get this authority? You're usurping who we are as the religious leaders. Why are you doing this? And under what authority do you have? And we pick it up here in Acts 4, 
They stood Peter and John in the middle of the room and they grilled them. Who put you in charge? What business do you have doing this? And with that, Peter, full of the Holy Spirit, let loose. Rulers, leaders of the people, if we have brought to trial today for helping a sick man under investigation regarding his healing, I'll be completely frank with you. We have nothing to hide. By the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the one you killed on a cross, the one God raised from the dead, by means of his name, this man stands before you healthy and whole. Jesus is the stone you masons threw out, which is now the cornerstone. Salvation comes no other way. No other name has been or will be given to us by which we can be saved, only that one. And they couldn't take their eyes off of them. The leaders couldn't take their eyes off of them. And Peter and John standing there so confident, so sure of themselves. Peter, the one that we think failed, is now powerful in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter, the one who ran and, and was unsure in the other apostles, Peter, God builds his church upon. And God makes that same promise to you and me today. Live through your fears. Take the steps of faith. Trust and believe. And allow God to do something miraculous in your life. And if for some reason you were sitting here today saying, my whole life has been nothing but a failure, in the name of Jesus Christ, let it go. Give your life to Christ. And remember, you are something. You are sons and daughters of a king. You are royalty. You are sons and daughters of Jesus Christ.